Yesterday, we talked about the grace-filled transformation of St. Peter, uh, this, this transformation which took place in a relatively short period of time because of his encounter with the risen Christ and his uh, reception of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And we saw how Peter, a matter of months after cowardly denying he even knew the Lord, uh, at the questioning of a maid, now boldly proclaims Christ is truly risen to the same men who conspired to execute Jesus. Peter and John had been arrested by the temple guards and, and taken before the scribes, leaders, and el- elders of Israel, and they proclaimed the truth of the gospel. Our first reader reading picks up today where we left off yesterday. And the scribes, leaders, and elders of Israel take in, uh, observe what Peter and John have said. Remember, all of this started not only because Peter and John were preaching that Christ had risen in the temple, but because a crippled beggar had been healed in the name of Jesus uh, also in the temple. The scribes and leaders take in what Peter and John have to say, and they make the following pronouncements. A pronouncement. Peter and John were ordered not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And again, we see these two apostles display great boldness and a fearlessness when they respond. Quote, whether it is right in the sight of God for us to obey you rather than God, you be the judges. It is impossible for us not to speak about what we have seen and heard. The leaders dumbfounded could only threaten them further and release them. It is impossible for us not to speak about what we have seen and heard. You know, as I reflected on this this line, I couldn't help but think of it in light of Peter's proclamation from yesterday's first reading. In Acts 4, chapter 4, verse 12, Peter said to his, to this same body of leaders, quote, there is no salvation through anyone else, nor is there any other name under the heaven given to the human race by which we are to be saved. And of course, Peter is saying this in reference to Jesus. Uh, there is no salvation through anyone else uh, other than Jesus. There is no other name other than Jesus under the heaven given to the human race by which we are to be saved. I'm sure this was a shock to the religious leaders of Peter's day. There are those who would hear these words of Peter today, however, uh, that there isn't any other name by which men are saved, and say that the words of St. Peter are intolerant and offensive. Many today would see Peter's words as, as being the hallmark of a judgmental attitude, if not outright bigotry. Why is this? We live in a society which long ago embraced relativism in regard to religious and moral truths. Relativism is the idea that truth, in this case moral and religious truth, is relative to a person or a society. In other words, there is no absolute right or wrong, good or evil. There are no actions which are inherently in and of themselves and always and everywhere wrong. Relativism guts morality. And it also guts religion of any substantial meaning. When it comes to religious truths, truths about God, does he exist? Can we know him? What are our obligations to him? Questions about what is the purpose of life? Is there an afterlife? Is there a heaven? How do I get there? Is there a hell? How do I avoid it? 
Is Jesus Christ true God and true man? Did he truly rise from the grave? Is he alone the way, truth, the truth, and the life? Is he the only name, the only name under heaven given to the human race by which men are saved? These are all questions which touch on the fundamental meaning of life. They are questions that every human being, whether they acknowledge it or not, asks. And they are all questions which relativism consigns to the dustbin, to the realm of opinion or preference. But whatever else it is, relativism says, it's not the realm, we, we, we can't really know. There, there's no objective truth here. It's all just preference. Relativism essentially says there is no absolute religious or moral truth, and it's the default position of the day. Now, as followers of the risen Christ, we can't go along with this popular sentiment of religious relativism. We must swim against the tide. You know, thankfully, the church has offered some brilliant refutations of moral and religious relativism. I'll, I'll, I'll use one example. In the year 2000, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, which is an arm of the Vatican, uh, and it deals with, as the name suggests, doctrinal matters. The, the CDF, as it's known, released a document entitled Dominus Jesus, Latin for the Lord Jesus, and it was written by Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, the future Pope Benedict XVI, at the behest of Pope St. John Paul II. The document states this, quote, With the coming of the Savior, Jesus Christ, God has willed that the church founded by him be the instrument for the salvation of all humanity. This truth of faith does not lessen the sincere respect which the church has for the religions of the world, but at the same time, it rules out in a radical way the mentality of indifferentism characterized by a religious relativism which leads to the belief that one religion is as good is as good as another. In other words, we are called to respect other religions. You know, elsewhere in the document we read that quote, the Catholic Church rejects nothing of what is true and holy in other religions. She has a high regard for the manner of life and conduct, the precepts and teachings, which, although different in many ways from her own teaching, nonetheless reflect a ray of truth which enlightens all men. We are called to respect all religions and to acknowledge the elements of truth which, to one degree or another, more or less, more or less exist in other religions. And more than simply respecting them, we are called to love them. You know, this is a radical concept in today's climate. We can and should love those we disagree with, even when uh, what we disagree about is in regard to the most important questions. We are called to love those we disagree with. Since we can and should love those we, whom we, with whom we disagree with, it's no disrespect to other religions to simply say what we firmly believe to be true. That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father but through him. We believe that. There's nothing wrong with saying it. It is impossible for us not to speak about what we have seen and heard. That Jesus Christ is truly risen. You know, the world might very well call me arrogant or intolerant for saying that, bigoted or narrow-minded, judgmental or fill in the gap. And if you likewise proclaim Christ to be the only name given to men by which we can be saved, you too will face the same reproaches. 
Yet in the face of such reproaches, in the face of a culture which demands we be quiet, we keep our faith to ourselves and, and out of the public sphere, to a culture mired in relativism, we must display the courageous love St. Peter displayed when he said simply, Whether it is right in the sight of God for us to obey you rather than God, you be the judges. It is impossible for us not to speak about what we have seen and heard. We have all encountered Christ in the sacraments in prayer. We all, like St. Peter, must be willing to be, bear witness to him, to courageously preach the truth of Christ in love. It isn't enough merely to practice the faith. We must be willing to share it. Now, often we're intimidated by the idea of talking about our faith to others. Part of that is the culture of relativism we live in, but part of it is we, we feel like we don't know how. However, we overcomplicate things. If we go to a restaurant and love it, we simply say to our family and friends, hey, you have to try this restaurant. You know, with the stay-at-home order, if you're streaming a show right now that you find fascinating, of course, you'll be quick to tell others about it. Hey, I love this. You should watch it. Of course, it isn't much different with the faith. We simply share the beauty and truth of the gospel. We talk about the peace and calm which come from prayer, the solace from, that comes from knowing Christ in prayer and the sacraments, the truth that he really died for us and rose from the grave. I think one, one aspect that we have a real opportunity to witness to right now, a particularly powerful one, is to speak about how much we miss the Eucharist, how much we, we miss receiving our Lord who's really, truly, and substantially present and visiting him in adoration. This is, a, this is an important way we can bear witness right now. Let us pray that this Easter our Lord gives us a share in the audacity and boldness of St. Peter, so that we too can proclaim the truth of the risen Christ in charity to those our Lord sends our way.